Good to see you, Purpose Church. Happy almost new year. Uh, One last 2020 meme for the year. I love this one so much. I just bought my pastor a get better soon card. He's not sick or anything. I just think he could do better. That's the hope for all of us, isn't it, for 2021, uh, that Glenn will do better than he did in 2020. Well, today's message, I think, is going to be my favorite sermon of the year, and I just hope that you're going to find it as encouraging as I do. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about why God called you to live in California. Now, don't turn the live stream off if you live in another state, or at least not just yet. Uh, Here's the first biblical principle that applies to everyone regardless of where you live. And that is bloom where you're planted wherever you live. Uh, Paul wrote to the Philippians, the followers of Jesus in a town called Philippi in the nation of what is today Greece. He said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, well, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in what. I can do all of this through him who gives me the strength. And when the nation of Israel was dragged into exile uh, to Babylon, what is today the nation of Iraq, uh, by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC, here's what God told them to do, even though they were in a place that that was not of there where they'd like to be. They'd like to have been in Israel, but instead they were in Iraq or they were in Babylon. Uh, God said to him, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they uh, produce. Uh, goes on to say, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too uh, will prosper as well. And this is the context for what, for many Christians, is one of their favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, Picking it up with verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of of your heart. And so we're to bloom where we're planted, wherever you live, that's what we're supposed to do. And last Sunday, I talked about the half-full glass and how everything in life is a half-full glass. There's the half that you like in your life, that you feel blessed, the, the prayers that God has answered. And then there's the empty half, the prayers that God has not yet answered, that is not so much a blessing in your life, uh, things that you're disappointed in, things that you wish would happen that have not yet happened in your life. And everything is like that. And you know, we have all spent a lot of time focusing in on the empty half of the glass of living in California, especially this past year uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, I hear a lot of California bashing about that empty half of the glass. Now, I'm not 
uh, being naive. I know that there's an empty half of the glass when you live in California. I, I, I want you to know, I get that. When I announced today's title last Sunday, I had the owner of a small business come up to me and he said, oh, uh, Glenn, you've got a tough job convincing me, uh, but I'm going to come next Sunday and I'm going to keep an open mind, but I want you to know uh, you've got a tough assignment to convince me that this is where God has called me. And I don't want to offend people from other states and, and certainly not everyone is called to live in California. But today I want to spend our time focusing on, on the full half of the glass of being called to live in California. I want to, I want to balance things out. I, I, I just think a lot of people are discouraged. I hear people, if, if they need to stay in California for a variety of different reasons, I, I hear them being discouraged, and maybe some of their friends have moved to other states, and, and whenever you move to another state, it's like a honeymoon, you're writing back, oh, it's so wonderful, the air here is so clean, uh, there's no traffic, and all is like uh, positive because it's, uh, they're new to the experience, they're just starting out there. And so many times the people left behind um, feel discouraged, and so I really want to do the best I can uh, to kind of even the score a little bit. I'm going to be enthusiastically and unashamed shamedly today making a case for why God has called you to live in California. Now I'm going to start with some very uh, superficial blessings. I want you to know I'm gonna, this first part's even a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I'm going to be very, very surface, uh, very, very superficial, uh, but then we're going to move deeper into more uh, spiritual and strategic blessings as the message goes on. So we want to start with the physical blessings of living in California. And the first one is just so obvious, and it's something I think we all can agree on. The first physical blessing of living in California is the weather is awesome. <laughs> okay, is that something we can all agree on? And those of you that were born in California, you were born into the awesomeness. And you just didn't realize it. You've always lived in awesomeness and you don't realize that in other places there is not so much awesomeness. I moved here when I was 36 years old and I didn't realize that such a place actually existed. I had heard of the legend, but I had not yet experienced myself. I grew up in Virginia. I went to college in Chicago, seminary in Boston, and I pastored for 12 years near Syracuse, New York. So when I hear people who were born in California say, oh, Pastor Glenn, I want to move to North Dakota so that I can experience seasons. I want to shake them and say, no, you don't. Don't say that. You know not of what you speak. Uh, you don't want to shovel your driveway at six in the morning and scrape your windshield and run your car for 45 minutes just so that it's warm enough that you can climb into it to go to school or work or church or to the grocery store. You don't want that. And, and if you do move there, don't buy a house right away. Rent for five years and five winters and then buy a house. But you say, oh, Pastor Glenn, I can buy a 20,000 square foot house on 20 acres of land for $10,000. There's a reason you can do that. There's a reason uh, for that. Uh, here's a picture of my mother-in-law and father-in-law uh, with uh, President H.W. Bush because my father-in-law, uh, he was at this time the president of the Syracuse, New York uh, Chamber of Commerce. And so my father-in-law's assignment was to attract businesses and people to a city that averages 10 feet of snow every year, and he did it successfully. 
My father-in-law must have been one of the greatest leaders who ever lived. He just told people, do you want to experience seasons? I can give you seasons. Now, uh, if you um, uh, don't want to listen to me on this, listen to the greatest quarterback who ever lived. Uh, Tom Brady said this just a couple of weeks ago. Got himself in a lot of trouble. There was controversy connected with it. I was a native Californian for a long time in my life and went away from it for about 25 years and you won't catch me dead living in the Northeast anymore. So if you don't take my word for it, take Tom Brady's word for it. And then one of my favorite Christmas songs is Tender Tennessee Christmas by Amy Grant. Now she's writing a song about how great Christmas is in Tennessee, but here's part of her lyrics. Every now and then, I get a wandering urge to see maybe California, maybe tinsel towns for me. There's a parade there. We'd have it made there. Bring home a tan for New Year's Eve. Sure sounds exciting, awfully inviting. Now, she is writing a song in praise of Tennessee Christmases, and she has these kind of lyrics within the song. I don't think she's convinced. Something tells me that deep down, uh, she's not really convinced of what she is singing about. Now, geographically, California is about the same latitude as the promised land, Israel. As a matter of fact, San Diego and Nazareth are both 32.7 degrees north latitude. And this is what's called the Vineyard Zone. And so you can see the Ramona Valley down in San Diego County. You can see Jordan, which is right next to Israel. And San Diego and, and, and Nazareth are both 32.7 degrees north latitude. And so we're the same latitude, uh, much of uh, California, as uh, the promised land uh, that God said to Moses in Exodus 3, verse 8. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. A land flowing with milk and honey. And just like Israel, California in so many ways is a land flowing with milk and honey. Has a world-class climate, natural beauty, and boundless opportunity. It's been called, quote, the engine of America's prosperity and leadership. Its economy is ranked fifth in the world. If it were its own country, it would be number five in the world, trailing only the United States as a whole, uh, China, Japan, and Germany. And ahead, just the state of California is ahead uh, as the biggest economy in the world, ahead of a nation like India, the United Kingdom, and France. Uh, California is by far the nation's most productive agricultural state. Uh, Kimberly and I immediately felt the benefits of California's world-class medicine when we moved here in 1993. No one in the country had been able to help us with our son John's Hirschsprung's disease uh, or our daughter Abby's spina bifida until we got to California. And there we found the medical help uh, that has been such a blessing to our uh, two children's lives. Uh, now, I'm, at this point, I'm getting beyond my pay grade and expertise. Uh, so let me invite up Dr. Kenneth P. Miller, who is Associate Professor of Government at Claremont McKenna College. He's Associate Director of the Rose Institute of State and Local Government. And, and Ken, humble guys like you just hate it when I do this. He is a big deal. I did some research on him, and 
oh my goodness. He doesn't just teach about government. He has been one of the influencers, historical influencers in our state, and he knows California so well, and he has actually been a part of uh, major things that have gone on uh, in California. And so they're also part of our purpose uh, family with his wife, Kimberly. We're both married to Kimberly's and his precious little girl, Jenna. And, uh, and, 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 you know, we had a, a talk just about a year ago. Uh, Jenna was uh, being dedicated. Uh, and, uh, right here. And, yes, yes, <laughs> right here, right here at our church. And um, we got to talking. I guess maybe it was later than that. We were talking out in the lobby when we could still meet all together. And you told me about your concept for a book. And I thought this was the greatest concept for a book I had heard in so long. A, a book called Texas versus California. A, a history of their struggle for the future of America. And I said, that is the greatest idea. And I want you to know, this has become like my new favorite book. <laughs> I bought five copies um, to give out to people for, for Christmas presents. It, it is but just it. fascinating. <laughs> yes, it is. And you're going to tell us by the end of this how we can buy this book because this is a great, great book. So, um, Ken, tell us like an overview of the premise uh, of this book. Yeah. Yeah, Gwen. Well, first of all, thanks for having me here. And this is a, uh, a really fun conversation and topic for me, of course. Uh, the, the book, um, it came out of a couple of interests. One is, like a lot of people who teach government, I am totally um, fascinated by and concerned by the political polarization of our country and the division that we have between uh, conservative and progressive and how that's that split out in a very uh, deep way. And most people who do it focus, who study this, focus on Washington, D.C., what's going on in Congress and such. Um, my particular interest is the states, especially the state of California. And during the course of my career teaching government, California has gone from basically a competitive two-party, middle-of-the-road-ish kind of state to a overwhelmingly democratic or blue state. Uh, while at the same time, some other states, including Texas, has moved to the right and become increasingly conservative and uh, Republican. And so it just suggested to me that it would be great to have kind of a balanced analysis of how it was that California moved left, Texas and other states moved right, um, and uh, try to do that from a historical perspective, show the roots of these, these trends, and then show what does it mean for our country today and what might the future hold. And it was fascinating to me how similar they were at the beginning, kind of. They have a lot of things that are the same, and yet they kind of went in, in a couple different directions. I mean, that's, that's to me, part of the, the interest of the story is that California and Texas, to me, are like close siblings. They're, they both came out of um, Mexico. They were mm -hmm. northern provinces of, of Mexico and uh, came into the United States through a, a kind of a similar process of westward expansion of, of Americans into these territories and independence movements in both places. And then they both joined the United States right around the, the Mexican War in um, uh, Texas in 1845, California in 1850. So there are so many similarities at the beginning. And also they're sunbelt states, they're high growth, um, they have big economies, um, so many things in common, and yet they're, they're so opposite. Also, interestingly, they're both very diverse states. People know that about California, maybe not so much about Texas as well, that they're, they're both diverse, but they've gone in different political directions. So that's what I was trying to figure out why that is. 
And now, do you think that almost the nation hangs in balance and and are we going to follow a Texas model or a California model? Are they influencers that way as to what the future direction of the country is going to go? Do you yeah, think? Yeah, absolutely. I think especially over the last decade or two, as these states have they become um, more completely one or the other, mm -hmm. they've been able to create models. So Texas has a very distinct and comprehensive uh, conservative model of low taxes, low regulation, um, uh, all that kind of thing, um, conservative on social policies. And California is, has got a completely different model, a progressive model of high regulation on environmental policy and such, and um, in terms of healthcare, um, high taxes, and lots of services. And so those are two off or, uh, options that are being presented to the country as a whole. And if you look at the Democrats nationally, they're sort of trying to adopt the California model. Mm -hmm. And the Republican Party is much more in line nationally with what Texas has on offer. Wow. Wow. Okay. How can people buy this book? Because I, And I highly recommend it. I, I confess, I did not study the history of California as much as I should. When I came here as pastor 27 years ago, I should have just been... You know, really. So you gave me a catch-up course, but then, of course, it's so interesting what's happening now and into the future. So I really, really recommend this book. How how do we get it? Thanks again, Glenn, for the, <laughs> the opportunity. Yeah. So the uh, the easiest way is just to click online. Um, you can get it from the publisher, but probably the easiest way is to get it from Amazon. Yeah. Um, and uh, one-click shopping, and you can just uh, have it delivered to your door. Wow. So, yeah. Awesome. 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 Now. What are the benefits? You know, I just got into some of the, the obvious ones, you know, the weather things, touched on a couple of other little ones that were personal to me. But could you list some other benefits to living in California? And, and I jokingly said this, but I actually was serious. I don't want to hear anything about the benefits of living in Texas, okay? <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to hear anything. That, that will undercut my message here. So, so uh, nothing about the benefits of living in, uh, in Texas. But, but what are some other things if you uh, are called to live in California? It seems like, uh, you know, because of work or family or whatever, this is going to be your state. What is that full half of the glass of, of living here that you would say, these are benefits to, to living in California? Yeah, I would, I would say a few things. This is, you know, my perspective, different people would have different answers to this sure, question. But, sure. um, you know, I, I, you know, you started with the weather. You, yeah. you, you can't, you can't <laughs> neglect that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's important, I think, both just in terms of the, the physical beauty and, and all of that. But it also allows for um, uh, you know, things to happen outdoors year round. Yeah. And that yeah. actually is why Hollywood is Hollywood, uh -huh. uh, is that the film industry gravitated to California because they could do outdoor filming all year. It's part of why the aviation industry was birthed in California and not on the East Coast, is because the weather allowed for um, the, the construction and, and test flying and all of that of, of airplanes. And so the whole aviation industry was built here. There's, and that continues to be true, that the, lots, the agriculture that you mentioned is possible because of the, the weather conditions we have here. So there's lots of ways in which the physical uh, space here, the geography, the climate, and all of that makes possible a lot of things that are not possible other places. I never thought of that before. Athletics. I, I'm just, I was stunned when I moved here how much, you know, like my little high school in Prince George, Virginia, we had, we were proud because we had one major league player in the whole history of the school. Yep. You come here and every high school is just pumping. And, and my friend uh, that I ran track with at, at Wheaton, um, he, his, his height, he was from Riverside, his height in the high jump would have won 49 
state, 48 states, 48 states. Um, he, he would, he was finished 10th in California, <laughs> right. finished 10th and his, and his height would have won 48 states. I think New Jersey and then California, he would have won all the rest of them. I was just amazed by that. So, I mean, if you look at U.S. Olympians disproportionately from California, yeah, yeah. even though, and major league baseball players, all sports, it's, yeah. it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a sports culture that's made possible again, I think by, by the climate that's, that makes it possible to be out year round. Um, so there's that. Um, I would also say there's there's something about this, the 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 culture of the place that is innovative. Um, it's, California has been called Innovationville and not Traditionburg um, by a, a famous author. And and not and Traditionburg, not, but, but Innovationville, Innovation right? <laughs> that you know, if you think about you know, the major innovations in our our country, many of them come out of here. I mean, we talked about Hollywood and the, inter and the entertainment industry, but Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is the most um, amazing creative force in the world today in terms of technology and all the things that flow from that. And it's part of the reason is because um, it is supported by an innovative culture that's been part of California for a long time. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, that, that whole cultural thing, I, it gets my mind thinking about, I had a, um, a cousin, and uh, his name was John, John Gunderson, grew up in, in Michigan, and he was an environmental lawyer for the Air Force, so up in Vandenberg, you know, for years. And he told me one thing I thought was interesting, is how egalitarian the culture is in, in California. He was saying, he was spent some time in the Northeast, and he said everything was like, okay, where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to school? So it's all comparing degrees. Right. What job do you have? What job? He said, I'd sit next to in church with a bunch of guys and they'd all have different professions, um, you know, all, all kinds of different backgrounds, schooling, lack of schooling, but it was all cool. And, 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 right. and he, he loved that about California. He said, it just feels like we're all in this together kind of thing. Right. I, in, in that way, California, it's, it's also been described as the most American of states and that it's sort of um, continued forth the, the American ideal of egalitarianism and sort of anti-aristocracy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not sort of about where you were born or who you were born to or where you went to school even, yeah. but sort of, you know, what can you bring to the table, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and um, there, there's many opportunities and there, there isn't sort of a rigid uh, caste structure. I, I do think that the public education system, especially higher education in the state, has contributed to that to be really accessible to a lot of people. So it, and it's, it's an outstanding system that we've got here that doesn't exist in most other states. Now, you mentioned to me earlier, Ken, about uh, the diversity of California and how that really is a blessing of living here. Yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's part of the character of California. If you go all the way back to the gold rush, um, the gold rush pulled in people from all over the United States and around the world. The, the first major Asian population in North America came as a result of the gold rush and it came to California. Um, obviously, we're, uh, California was part of Mexico and there's always been a Mexican presence in the state. But California also drew from Eastern Europe, from all, you know, all over the world. And it's, it's been this magnet, this attraction to people who, who love the opportunities that are available here and the creative culture and all of that. And so we are now in a, in a time where the diversity has even exploded even more. And so there is no one majority group in the state. Um, if you go back to 1970, three quarters of all Californians were non-Hispanic white people. Um, and we've had over the course of just 50 years, that's been cut in half, about 30 
7% of Californians are non-Hispanic white, um, about 40% Hispanic, 15% Asian American. And so you've got this amazing mix. It's probably one of the most diverse geographic areas in terms of racial, ethnic, cultural diversity in the world, wow. in human history probably, wow. Wow. that we have here. And wow. it's, you can either think about it in a negative way or yeah. a positive way. And yeah. the positive is just like this amazing sort of uh, feast of cultures and people that we get to interact with in this place. And the Bible talks about it in heaven, there's going to be every language, nation, tribe gathered around the throne. And we're, we're living it. We're I, getting a preview, uh, right? Yeah. It's, it's great. Oh, <laughs> and, and I know at our, at our church, this just strikes at my heart because we are one of those rare churches. You read a lot now among pastors, like everybody's saying churches should be more diverse. You just hear that all the time. But I'll give you a quote from the headline of one of them. Uh, Diversity is more dream than reality. And just everybody says it's a good thing. Nobody's really doing it. They, and there aren't even statistics on a church like our church. As a matter of fact, they, they call a diverse church is any church that has one race being less than 80%. And there's 12.5% of churches in America, 12.5% have 80% or less. Well, our church is just on the verge of being no majority race, no 50% or more race. Everything is less than 50%. And there aren't even statistics to, it's like 0.1% or even to describe that. But one of the things that we, you know, we've done some intentional things to, to do that. We've taken some conscious steps, but just being in California, just being a church in, in Pomona, California, that's right. really helps that to, helps to happen. I mean, yeah. there, it's important to have some intentionality around that to make yeah. it, uh, to, to support that, but it, just being where we are makes it much more possible, wow. which I think is the future of the church and we need to embrace that. Wow. Uh, let's pivot now for the remainder of our time to the spiritual blessings and opportunities of living in California. And I'm using some things, Some I'm going to read some from a blog from Nathan Neighbor. We both know him, oh, wonderful pastor, guy. terrific uh, of the, uh, used to be Mosaic, but now it's Humanity Church right here in Pomona. And actually this whole today birthed out of a conversation. He and I were kind of um, complaining about California bashing. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to do a blog on this. And I said, well, I'm going to do a sermon on it. So I said, when you get your blog done, send me. And so I want to take some excerpts uh, from his. Here's one of them that we have here. He Nathan writes, with the latest COVID restrictions and shutdowns, ever-increasing taxes, and failing infrastructure, individuals and major corporations are moving out of California in record numbers. The promised lands of Texas, Idaho, Tennessee, and Florida seem to be much more appealing than the Golden State. I'm a lifelong proud Southern Californian, and even I was allured by the mansions of Texas Zillow that our kids could grow up in, the low taxes and the more value on personal liberty. So why stay? So let's talk about five uh, spiritual reasons as to why uh, we should consider uh, staying. Five reasons why every Californian believer should consider keeping California as their permanent home from a missional perspective. And the first one that Nathan talks about is Jesus would choose California. Now, that's, a, that's kind of a, a strong statement, so I'm going to let um, Nathan defend that instead of myself. Uh, let me read this. Uh, Jesus didn't choose the most comfortable, the most convenient, the most economically friendly places to engage. He often found himself in the most chaotic and unfriendly locations and managed to bring the kingdom of God to that piece of earth. The movement of Jesus has lost sight of the power of sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And wow, this is a heavy statement. When did living in wealth and comfort, surrounded by people that believe like us, become the end game for believers? 
Paul had his sights on Rome as the most strategic spot to spread the gospel, the message of Jesus. He understood that if he could reach the cultural centers of the world, he could change the entire nation. California is that. What if we, as people of hope, saw California as just as much a strategic reference point for spirituality as any other location on the planet? We are willing to fund missionaries to live in every burdensome corner of the globe, but are we willing to stay and to shine? How do you respond to that one? Well, um, there's a lot there. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's great. And I, I, I basically agree with the major points. It seems like there's two main points. One is California is a, is a cultural and political influencer, mm -hmm. right? And um, that's absolutely true for the reasons we talked about. It's economic power, it's political power, it's cultural power around the world, not just in the United States. And uh, it's important for Christians to have a presence and a voice in this influential place. I mean, now, if you go back 60, 70 years ago, Christian, the, Christians were the mainstream culture okay. in California and other places. And we're now entering, um, probably more so in California than other places, a, a post-Christian, more secular um, environment. And that's, people feel, feel that, Christian believers feel that. And one thing to do is you could flee and try to go to a place that feels more comfortable or you could sort of lean into mm -hmm. uh, the situation and um, continue to try to be a, a Christian presence and voice in this place. And so um, I, I think that's absolutely the call uh, for many of us is to, is to stay present and uh, probably our presence is more important in an environment where um, you know, not everybody has a Christian worldview. In fact, most people don't um, these days. Um, and, and then it would be if we were in a place where everybody agreed with us. Wow. Well, Mark 10, 45, uh, Jesus said this, for even the son of man, Jesus, did not come to be served. That is to be comfortable, to be uh, protected. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So those that follow him, that is, uh, that's part of our DNA to follow the Jesus who did that very uh, same, same, same thing. Um, number two is kind of along with it. Paul, I believe, would choose California. Jesus would choose California. Paul would choose California. Uh, he writes to the Romans, which were the epicenter of all the ancient world at that time. He said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all around the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. So Paul had this desire to get to Rome. Why? You know, everybody needed the gospel at that time. Why was he just so passionate about getting uh, to Rome? Well, because he knew that was the influencer of that time. That's where he should be. That's where the gospel should be. And so he goes on to say in verse 15, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in in Rome. And then that great verse, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And then number three, God has historically chosen California. We're saying some strong <laughs> statements now. Jesus would choose uh, California. Um, uh, Paul would choose California, the Apostle Paul. God has historically chosen California. What do you think um, Nathan means by that point? 
Yeah, it's, it's probably not well known by uh, a lot of people. When we think of California as being this very secular place that um, is hostile to religion and all of that, and that there's not much Christian presence, the, the, the fact of the matter is that historically um, there's been an amazing Christian presence in California, especially in Southern California. And uh, that, that goes back to the 19th century where a lot of people from across the United States sent people to California to plant churches and to build institutions, um, colleges um, and such. And, and this church here uh, is, is part of that project. It goes back all the way to the eight, 1870, which is unbelievable, 150 years ago. That's before the railroad even came to Southern California. And it's, it's not alone. There are a lot of other really important institutions that go back deep into the 19th century. And this, these, these Christian movements pervaded in Southern California, the Azusa Street movement that created the Foursquare Church. There was Billy Graham's cru- first major crusade in 1949, eight weeks in downtown Los Angeles, got the, the whole movement, Billy Graham movement going. Uh, if you think about the, the Jesus movement of the 1960s and 70s that um, spun out Calvary Chapel and the Vineyard and contemporary Christian music. So many things are located right here in Southern California, and people may not remember that. Uh, and there's a legacy of some of these institutions, including this church and other churches and Christian colleges and universities like Biola and APU and Westmont and Fuller Seminary. They're still here and present, um, and, a, and they basically create a foothold for Christians to continue to engage the culture today. So I would say to every Christ follower who lives in California, the same thing that Mordecai uh, said to Esther, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And, and God has often chosen, like you said, California to, to launch movements, the Azusa Street, Street Revivals, the other schools. I got to get all these in there so I don't <laughs> offend people within our church. Sure. Cal Baptist, right. Point Loma, Absolutely. Vanguard. I, if, I, if I left your school out, uh, please uh, write to Ken about that and complain to him, uh, send an email to him on that. But no, all these movements that just start here, focus on the family. Right. Um, and like you had already mentioned, Bill, Billy Graham and, yeah. and uh, Bill Bright with Campus Crusade and, and, and so so many of those uh, started here. And so we are right here in that strategic position uh, where God can use us to change the world for Christ from where we live uh, here in California. And then flows out of that as well is disproportionate um, disproportionate influence. Um, I love, again, what uh, Nathan uh, writes on uh, this particular one. He says, I've traveled uh, to remote villages all over the world People will ask me if I've ever been to Hollywood and will often give me their best, I'll be back, (laughs) in a Schwarzenegger uh, accent. Uh, 12% of the U.S. population lives within the Golden State. Who will be here influencing the influencers? Look, the reality is that Ketchum, Idaho, doesn't have the same influence as Los Angeles. You know, I sense a little bitterness there, Ken. I, I bet you his biggest giver just retired to Ketchum. <laughs> yes, yes, or his, his strongest young leader just relocated uh, his or her family uh, to Ketchum. You visit some rural cities in America, and you travel back in time for 20 years. They may be, quote, better in simpler times, but they will always be catching up and reacting to what happens in California. I long for a tribe of people that recognizes this influence and is willing to commit to stewarding it well. A tribe of people that grow deep roots into a land that will impact generations to come. 
What happens here will reach the world, like it or not, history has its eyes on us. And boy, that is so true. There's just that disproportionate uh, impact of people uh, that live here um, for the gospel. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely true that um, for a lot of the reasons that we've been talking about, California is um, in many ways the national leader in so many ways in economics and politics and culture. And what happens first here is then um, later shows up in Ketchum, Idaho or in, in Ottumwa, Iowa or whatever, right? Um, it, it doesn't necessarily start in these um, other places. It starts in these cultural capitals. And New York City is one of them. Washington, D.C. is another one. And California is absolutely a place where the future is being made for better or worse. And if we want to have some influence in, in what the future is going to look like, we have to be engaged and lean in to what's going on in California. When I pastored in Homer, New York, a little town of 3,500 yeah. up near the Canadian border in upstate New York, I would always be asking, what's happening in California? Because right. I knew whatever was happening in California was going to get to us 10 or 20 or 30 years later, and I could be prepared. It was almost like looking ahead in, in, in time. I love this quote by Erwin McManus. He said, uh, when Los Angeles sneezes, the world catches a cold. <laughs> and that's what Paul said to the Thessalonians in Greece again. He said, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. And then one final one, number five, the light shines brightest in the darkness. The light shines brightest in the darkness. Let me just uh, quote Nathan one last time. He writes, I'll be the first to admit that California isn't the easiest place to live. It's not all sunshine, beaches, and Disneyland. I've been critical of our leadership. It's nearly impossible to own a home. Churches are seen as enemies rather than allies. It is the hotbed of absurd cultural, spiritual, social movements. The list could go on. However, I have found that it doesn't take much to be a light in the midst of it all. Jesus had his greatest impact in places where on paper his movement should not have been expanded. It's not that you can't be a light elsewhere, but it just shines brightest in the darkness. I'd rather be the passionate little candle in the blackest of nights than a floodlight on a summer day. You get to make that choice. In some places, you can be a, a, a searchlight, and it's in the midst of a bunch of other light. Mm -hmm. But here, I love that. We get to be passionate little candles in the blackest of nights. Uh, that's where the greatest impact would, would, would be. And uh, I just want to close with a couple of uh, verses we use at Christmas. Here's one that Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah uh, in chapter 4, verse 16. He says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. This is talking about Jesus. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then Jesus challenges us to be a light like he was a light. He says in chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Ken, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. I would love to sit in one of your classes. And, um, and one more time, let me give a push uh, to the book. If we could put it up there, uh, Texas versus California. Uh, really highly recommend this. Just a great read. But I want to pray now for, for you. I want to pray, especially if you feel like you're living in California, you need to live in California. This is where God has called you. Let me pray uh, for you as we finish our time. Lord, I pray for each person that's been watching this that feels like in some ways maybe they're, they're trapped in California, their job is here, their family's here, and, and, and it's so easy to begin to look at the empty half of the glass. And I pray that in this time that we've had together, you'll just remind us of the blessings of living in California, the strategic impact of living in California, that we are making a difference, that this is the place to be for us to get the most usefulness and impact and purpose out of the short time we have on life to have an impact for eternity before we go to heaven. And so, Lord, I just pray that in some small way, each person that's been watching this will be encouraged that this is a high strategic and um, impactful calling to live in California. There may be challenges, but in the midst of challenges, there is great opportunity. And help us to remember that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.